Kevin probably, probably imagine goaltending. Um, probably imagine as far as the defensemen go as well. The Ducks are the team that's more likely just to trade chances with you. Uh, the Kings do a great job of limiting chances. The Ducks are completely content with going back and forth and just riding their shooting percentage. Um, but other than that, what are your initial impressions of Kings versus Ducks? Who would you rather play between the two of them? If you asked me a week ago, I would have said the Kings. Um, but with the injury updates and uh, the Ducks all of a sudden, Frederick Anderson concussion, uh, David Perron is out for some time. Ricardo Kell out for some time. Uh, Lindholm, um, all, their entire defense, Bieksa, have all have all been injured. And they are all of a sudden, it, as hot as they've been the second half of the season, they are facing some pretty serious injuries. Um, and they are a defensive first team that uh, all of a sudden has some pretty pretty problematic injuries. Now, sort of the Predators with, with possibly, you know, Ryan Ellis has had injuries. So possibly when the playoffs roll around, their defense is fine and ready to go. Uh, but I, honestly, I think I would rather take on the uh, the Ducks and, uh, and forego the onslaught of Kings playoff march to doom where they eventually <laughs> win the cup. There's only two teams I'm ever going to want the Predators to play in the uh, Pacific. And it's only the answer I'm, o- I'm only going to give is either the Sharks or the Ducks. Those are the teams I always want to play. Don't care if they're the better teams. I just like watching the, the matchups. I mean, Ducks, Predators, they are happy to stoke that rivalry up, even though it's coming up, freaks. No. Welcome into a show that's uh, getting reacquainted with one another because it's been what a couple of weeks now two since weeks. we all see each other. Two weeks. Two yeah. weeks. That's two it was a whole different month. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. I was going through and like she's just looking at my show stuff here, and I had to put in a new date. It was awkward. This is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Alliance on Internet Marketing Solutions. Chris is Chris Link. Alex is Alex Doherty. I'm Dan Bradley. Gents, um, it's been it's like it's been a couple weeks. Have I missed anything major in your non-hockey worlds that? That would that, that would make anything different today. Uh, I've been kind of all over the state recently, and and I've finally been able to not be in a, a, a county other than Davidson for the last twenty four hours. So that's nice. You went to Gatlinburg. Correct? I was in Gatlinburg. I was in Savannah. Um, I was in uh, Jackson, Madison County for a while. It's just I, I, I'm just I'm tired of being elsewhere. I want to be home for a week. Gatlinburg's kind of a weird area. The I've got. I was able to co-host a national radio show for about a better part of a week. The busiest part of the uh, of this particular sports uh, time. It was uh, the Bill King show on on, uh, and uh, he didn't want he didn't want to to bring his radio equipment to Gatlinburg with him because he was terrified that someone would break into his cabin or break into his hotel room and steal it because he did not trust Gatlin people in Gatlinburg. It's a strange place. So that it, it's yeah, it, it seems to primarily be home to uh, to to go karts, Laffy Taffy, and novelty knives. That's the, my knowledge of it. It's, it's the Florida of Tennessee. It, it's literally like the Emerald Coast, like Highway Thirty of uh, the Panhandle, just wedged somewhere in the mountains. Yeah, that that that's accurate. Um, it, it's very beautiful. I mean, we were in a hotel that was just kind of on the mountains, and that was great. 
Um, but as soon as you walk around the actual city, yeah, I could take it or leave it. <laughs> the face you made was perfect. <laughs> uh, Link, did we miss anything? No, not really. It's been uh, besides the besides hockey. It's been a quiet couple of weeks, to be honest. I've been exhausted. I, I've been absolutely exhausted over the last uh, couple of weeks. I'm finally. I mean, with the with game two being a normal start time, I'm able to kind of resume. But the Duck series guys just nearly killed me. I, uh, I mean, I, I very publicly very was very public about my issues with my coffee pot and shattering and replacement. So yeah, I mean, for some of those Ducks games were rough because I had to. You know, it was nine o'clock, puck drop, no coffee, no. You know, I had tea, which is very calming and gentle, and not exactly what I was going for. Um, so I've had to adjust to a new coffee maker after a decade of the same coffee Ooh. maker, a Sanyo coffee maker. I thought you'd be more of a French press guy. It's coffee. I I hold it in just middling regards. Like I do certain things. Like, I will grind my own beans, but I don't like. Do drip over? No, I mean I save my real neurotic caffeine consumption for tea. Tea is tea is what holds dear places in my heart. Coffee is for very particular means to an end. Got it. What Got is it. your what is your tea of choice? Uh, my my favorite tea uh, style is is pu'er, which is a Chinese fermented tea. It's not super popular outside of China for the most part, but it's getting more popular, um, which is fantastic. It's a it's got a lot of personality. Um, obviously it's fermented, so it's, it's pretty unique. Um, so I'm a big hmm. fan of that. I'm also a, a oolong fan. Okay. So um, oolong is probably my favorite. Yeah. I mean, there's so many varieties, so this is obviously very, very broad, but, um, yeah, I mean, those are, that's kind of my sweet spot. Uh, a couple, couple Japanese greens, genmai cha, um, kikichi, I think is how it's pronounced, which is, uh, the stalks of a green tea plant, of green tea plants. My favorite tea is the power tea. <laughs> I'm sorry. Somebody, somebody <laughs> tell me what that means. <laughs> he just, I'm sorry. Is that, is that football or pro he wrestling? Got, I don't. He just got back from East Tennessee, so he's allowed to make. <laughs> I don't a, know what yeah. that is. He's allowed to make a Tennessee. It's the joke. Um, the University of Tennessee Volunteers football program has a uh, power tee on the field before their football games. It's the logo, like the yeah. orange tee. It's but is it, referred to as the power tee. Oh, okay, so it's not like actually powered or anything. It's just no, no, no actually far from it. It is definitely not powered. Ooh, <laughs> oh, okay. you can direct your hate mail to otf editor <laughs> at gmail dot com. Um, I totally ruined you. You had a brilliant. It was a you really, wouldn't you wouldn't redirect that directly to Alex's. <laughs> no, <laughs> right, I, yeah. I was the one who, who kind of drove the nail. In there. I, I kind of just bogarted your uh, your tea discussion, but it sounds that sounds interesting. No, I can I could do a whole podcast about tea if I wanted to. It'd okay. be it'd be a little like probably thirty minutes shorter podcast, but uh, <laughs> the could always do that. We we actually were there was a one point uh, within the last week or so we were getting ready we were going to do like a quick like thirty minute show or something like that or just do like some type of Skype show and I just I Dan took you, a nap instead. I was like guys, I'm just laying down for a nap. If you guys want to talk, that's great. Just send me the file. <laughs> and, and I check my phone. I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. Dan. Dan as, as I've said so many times in the past, you you make the show happen. Without without Dan, the show does not happen. This is true. I, I wanted to take a minute or two on that. Uh, just looking through our numbers. Thanks everybody for your support. Not forgetting about us for one, but uh, this has been our best year um, as far as numbers go. 
I was checking out just numbers for the side as well. Um, it's very impressive just seeing where we stack as far as just national blogs. Not, I mean, Predators blogs are one thing, but just where we stack nationally is really impressive. And uh, for a smaller fan base that is the Nashville Predators fan base, that's really cool. I mean, it's it's uh, definitely a delight whenever I get to look over and see our stats and see like where there's people overseas and people on military bases and people abroad in Sweden and uh, in Russia. There's a couple of uh, commenters that are actually reside over there that frequent us, and uh, including one from England as well. And it, it's it's uh, something I never thought I'd uh, I would enjoy as much, and uh, it definitely keeps us going in a lot of areas. So um, that said. Uh, we do have some fun hockey to talk about. We'll spend about you know fifteen twenty minutes or so on the uh, on the first series. By the way, um, Anaheim. We figured that this was going to be a good matchup for us. I mean, there was kind of a quiet confidence the three of us had for the most part. Even though the Ducks are, you know, we're a very good team. I don't think anyone wanted to downplay that. But as much as we wanted to just completely dismiss the series that happened earlier this decade, because totally different coaching strategies with Randy Carlisle and Bruce Boudreau, totally different Predators team where there was only a couple of guys remaining from that series. At the end of the day, it looked very similar to the Anaheim Ducks that we saw earlier this decade. Is it just me thinking that? Uh, well, I don't know, maybe. I, I think that there are some similarities, but I think that the, the way that series rolled out um, really benefited, especially the, the Predators at the end. I mean, the the Ducks, if they don't, be, lose their minds and start just beelining for the penalty box, we probably don't win that series. Yeah, game one and two, uh, and I think this was, I think the, I can't remember the general manager or the president who went for, of, of the Ducks call it out or saying that if they hadn't been so undisciplined and so, uh, I don't know, just chaotic in games one and two, they probably would have taken the series. Now, you, you, Dan, you were talking about quiet confidence. Uh, on this is at this, at this table of three people. One of us did pick the Ducks in seven. And yeah, that was, you did. yeah. So, and, and I even reaffirmed that. But pick. you never said that it was since like the Ducks are the far superior team. Nash was going to be lucky to win three games. You never. No, I, I didn't. I, I, I think that was foolish by the, uh, the national media. Um, you know, the it Ducks, Ducks. Yeah, it was lazy because you had the Ducks coming in, uh, for forgetting that they, they didn't just arbitrarily struggle. In the first half of the season, they right. they struggled for de- reasonable they for reasons, uh, and they recovered and and they played how they were supposed to play. And if they had played the way they were really expected to play the whole season, they would have been far by far dominant in the league. They probably would have blown by everyone. But you know they had issues, and those issues surfaced in the playoffs. And I think the Predators really did make it harder on themselves than they needed to. Uh, the PK was was fine during that series. I think that the power play was problematic. Um, I, I think it's been problematic during the regular season. It's problematic now. Sure. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit in depth later. But, you know, I, I think the Predators could have made it easier on themselves. I, they, I think they could have gotten it done in six games given what happened. I think they could have gotten it done in, in four games if they had really uh, not fallen to pieces in the first game in Nashville. I think the one of the best, one of the best parts of that series um, was the time in between game six and game seven. You saw the Predators team become a new... They had new life. They were relaxed. They were enjoying themselves. They flew out to, to Anaheim with this sort of pack-for-five-days mentality. And that was... I mean, I really did not expect that. And what were the Ducks doing? They were just, here we go again. Tense. Oh, no. You know, it, it, it was a total... I, I really enjoyed that. Now, it was stressful, and I was just sure we were going to lose Game 7, but it was... 
that was a really enjoyable time. You saw the Predators team kind of like almost just kind of butterfly there. I mean, you saw some some players and some emotion that we haven't seen all year, I, I think. Josh Cooper is a guy that's uh, that's pretty well respected anymore. I mean, he's a guy that usually will tell you the absolute truth, and but he's known for kind of you know for going after some narratives, and that's you know that's what writers do. We we try to find narratives and we try to find stuff to support that. And uh, but just seeing him kind of, he was the one who was uh, walking past both locker rooms and said that it was like a completely different world. Right, walking in the Ducks and the Predators, and that locker room. I didn't read too much into that going into the game, but you felt it after the uh, after the first period. Where the Predators had to, were going up two goals. Now, going back a little bit further, there's a couple of um, couple of questions I'd like to ask you guys about it. Uh, game six, when Ekholm scores that goal, that was just kind of like a breakthrough moment where it felt like just that it had been building and building and building and building. Once that goal went in, I had a, I actually I felt pretty good about the rest of the series, as lame as that sounds. Um, was that kind of like the turning point? Just that second period in Game six, where it felt like that just the narrative got completely changed, or what what made Game Six special? Yeah. What made Game Six change? I I think that's a really good catalyst point, Dan. I I, I can't disagree with that. And it, think the way things tend to go, if you if a team wins Game Six, they tend to win Game Seven. There's a moral balance there, and, and when you fold in that extra layer with the Ducks and their own neurotic approach to Game Sevens, uh, I I think that was a really big thing. I I think that was the first time the Ducks kind of went, oh, we may actually like we may be in the same situation we've been in so many times we may lose this we're going right back into the woods one more time uh, yeah I, I agree with that i think uh no, what else it also matthias Ekholm to that point um had been a, a a big part of the of the series but not that big and uh he has sort of taken that that sort of wheel around the the offensive zone tool out of uh, Roman Yossi's tool bag and Roman Yossi Roman Yossi's been great this series he's or in the playoffs he's had six assists he hasn't scored yet but but uh I think if that play did nothing else it firmed that Matthias Ekholm is good too and you saw that well last night you saw that in a, a couple other plays where we all of a sudden the Ducks and I think the Sharks too realize like yeah, they really do have four deep on the defensive. And we might have thought it was only two, but they really do have four solid, solid defensemen. Second question about this year, about the Ducks series, that just kind of is maybe like the lasting impression of the series. The Anaheim Ducks came completely unglued in game one, if game, if, or game two. In game one, they were a little bit on the loose side. Game two, they, complained, they came uh, completely off the hinges. Was that the moment where the Anaheim Ducks looked at Bruce Boudreau, who says, you've got this roster that this is one of the years you can really do something because the West is pretty wide open. You've got a, uh, we got a kind of an odd Nashville team. The Kings aren't as good. You don't know what you're going to get with the Sharks. And then here, the, uh, and then here the, the Ducks go and just lose their mind in game two. Was that the moment we think where the Anaheim Ducks decided, if they lose this series, we're getting rid of Bruce Boudreau? Mm. Well, I... I... I think that would have been a very... I mean, I think getting rid of Bruce Boudreau, period, was a mistake. Uh, but I think game two... I don't think that could be it because you look at, at game three, the Ducks come in, total flipping style. Uh, and it's not just the goaltending change because they, they obviously, when, when you have a new goaltender come in, it, there are some system changes that and some tweaks because of different styles from the goaltender. Uh, but they came in and they were uh, disciplined. They played a more defensive, boring game. I think everyone was making jokes of them being the Minnesota Wild. Uh, Dan, yes, Dan, you, you made <laughs> jokes. They were funny. We enjoyed them. Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah. 
Enjoy, the, enjoy your credit and, the, and let's move and forward. And then the Predators go, turn around and do the same thing in Game 6 and Game 7. So, touche. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, they kind of responded in like, and, and the whole series slowed down and became a lot less fun. Uh, but, you know, it, Boudreaux came in and showed that he could handle a major shift in tactics that changed the series completely. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you say, oh, well, you know, maybe he is a good coach. I mean, everyone knows this except for, I think, you know, professional hockey writers and, and NHL GMs, but everyone else seems to know it. Uh, and, you know, he, he coached a very, very good game. And it was just, I think it was a matter of the Predators getting a little bit lucky, being better than most people were giving their credit for, and, and coming out with a victory in the end. And then the Ducks said, well, we've lost X number of times, and it's clearly not a problem of all of our players being head cases half the time. So let's fire our coach who's had nothing but success everywhere he's gone. I, I don't necessarily agree with the Boudreaux firing either. The one criticism, I, I think he definitely caught flack, and I think for a good reason, for splitting apart Perry and Getzloff for really, not really great reasons. I mean, Perry at the end was playing with Raquel, and, and wasn't he yeah. on the line with Nate Thompson at but one he point? Had su- they had success with that during the regular season, though. Yeah, but Perry, did, Perry zero goals in the playoffs. Yeah. And Jacob Silverberg, zero goals. I mean... What's Boudreaux supposed to do about that? I mean, Perry had his chances. He just didn't bury him. And it, I mean, it's not like the uh, Predators forwards are laying up the scoreboards either. No. That, so, it, you know, sure. it, it, Nashville went out there with the with games uh, with games six and seven and completely sealed away the, fir- the, the front of the crease. If you look at the high-danger scoring chances yeah. the Ducks had, there were only one time where there was re- it was really scary, where Perry had Pecorino dead to right to the top of the crease and shot it right into his pad. Right. Pecorino, take nothing away from him, Pecorino was lights out game six and game seven. Yeah, it, it, we, we kind of saw a early-season Pecorino evolve into the late-season Pecorino that we watched through the regular course of the season. Yes. So that was an interesting thing. We've seen that. But the team over. was giving up so many high-danger chances, so many chances right in front of the crease in games three, four, and five. And that was frustrating, just mm-hmm. to see that this is how the Ducks score, and they the Predators, for the most part, surrendered the front well, of the net for a good chunk of those games. Frankly, outside of, of some of the truly elite-level scoring talent, that's where most people score. Especially in I the mean, playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the Stamkos's, the Tavares, the Ovechkins, who, who only ever seem to score from the circles, but even they get in tight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, if you cannot clear players out of the crease, you cannot mark properly near the crease. You're going to lose series. It's just the way it happens. Absolutely. But back to Boudreaux. I, I, I don't. I, th- that's the one criticism I would have is the, um, the, the shuffling of Perry. Even though there was success in that, I, I think, um, I don't understand why they got rid of him. I, I think they need to get rid of number ten and not Bruce Boudreaux. I, I mean, Corey Perry is like it, I. What's the what are the odds that he gets traded? Do you think zero? You think so? Uh, absolutely zero. Uh, I don't think you can get back equal value for what he for what he is. I mean, plus he's getting paid eight million dollars a year. That's a good chunk of money. Not everybody wants to take that contract in. That's very much a win now contract. Yeah, yeah and, and I the, mean, there's not a whole lot of teams out there that are in a similar situation that would move another win now player because that's what the Ducks need right now. You, you're paying Getzlav, you know, Liberia's deficit. You've got Ryan Kessler out there who's you know got a ridiculous contract as well. The Ducks are very much now a win-now team. They have a lot of cheap uh, players in the back end and, and net. This is the time for the Ducks to win because they can push up next to the salary cap and and surround these guys with better talent. The problem is is that uh, right now they have a, they have a very uh, kind of a top-heavy setup where they have a awesome scoring line with Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff. They have a very good defensive line with Kessler and Silverberg. 
and then after that, it's Nate Thompson. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the problem with the Anaheim yeah. Ducks. And then their defense, they don't have that elite puck-moving defenseman. I mean, Sammy Votnin, very good defenseman right now, but is he, he's not. If you look at who's winning Stanley Cups anymore, they all have that one, at least one elite puck-moving defenseman. they got to have at least one of them, and they don't have any of them. Hmm. On that note, I look forward to seeing Boudreaux and uh, coaching the Minnesota Wild. Oh no, no, I, no! I don't no, know. I don't no, know if I see that no. happen. I think there's a lot of paths. We'll, we'll get into we'll get into Bruce's uh, <laughs> next uh, next destination here. Last question regarding the uh, regarding the series against Anaheim is: What is going to be your lasting impression of that first round series? I I have two. So, but if you want to go, so my first one is that the game three was the worst hockey game I've ever seen in person, and I watched <laughs> the full sixty minutes of it. I was there for the entire thing. I was determined. Honestly, after the first five minutes, I was like, I know exactly how this is going to go. They're going to be terrible all game. But I want to see how bad it gets. And it got bad. So I can honestly say that I watched 60 minutes of the worst hockey, playoff or no, I mean, playoff or any 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 game, it, that any professional hockey game hockey team has played. The other lasting memory was Callion Kruk not hitting the open net. So it's really kind of two bad things, I guess. I actually had the the Cali GIF ready to go, and man, he missed the open net. Mm. That was rough. So, so my uh, my impression, and, and I mean this only in the absolute best way possible, but I kind of found that series to be forgettable. Uh, and I think that's a really good thing because list the number of forgettable playoff wins in Predators history. Yeah. I mean, it, everything's always iconic, this iconic, that, this step, that step, beat the Red Wings, move to the second round. You know, there's always something. Uh, or even on the bad side, there's always something. But this was like, the the series like started interesting, kind of faded, it got a little boring, and the Predators managed to pull it. But it was, you know, it was fine. And people are going to get excited. Oh, they won a Game 7 for the first time in history. That is probably the least interesting, like, first I've ever won an experience. First game seven, great. I mean, you won the series. It went in six or seven. Who cares? People probably won't like that. That's fine. <laughs> um, but I, th- I found the entire series a little bit forgettable. It was like it could have been a regular season series of games against a team, and it would have felt fine. I think that um, I don't want to downplay the game seven part as much, just because it's you know it was a it was a it was a chance for Nashville to have the spotlight on them for the first time in a long time, and they did it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to take away is that this was a series where no one picked them, where very few people picked them to win, and they had a game seven on national TV and they won. And that doesn't happen a whole lot with this team. This team has has found ways to to botch some pretty big things. I mean, they have and game five, game five, uh, the Phoenix series. They found ways to to kind of to botch some things. And this was a this was a chance where they're playing against a team that had more scoring talent than they did, and they won a game seven in their building. And that's a big deal, you know, as, as much as I'd like to see, you know, but it, I do agree with you on this. It does feel like, it's kind of like watching the first uh, episode of a television show when it comes back from a, it's, it's like a season premiere. You don't get a whole lot out of the season premiere typically, except maybe like one or two cliffhangers or something to get resolved. But it feels like it's, it, it was like, uh, I'm using a house analogy now, you were pu- just pouring the foundation. You didn't build the house. You just poured the foundation. You know, I was born in that hospital where that show takes place. Fun fact. What show? On House, the ho- the hospital where they, the, the show takes place. That's oh. I was, the hospital I was born in. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I was actually making a, uh, oh, like a, a Construction. Show. I think a construction 
Oh, the, how, I was thinking House. House the Show? No. I can't watch that, Because you're talking about cliffhangers. I, I, I missed the transition to a different metaphor. <laughs> I said, I'm making a house, I'm making a construction analogy now. And then <laughs> I, actually I said, actually said, I'm making a different analogy Dan, now. Dan, I only listened to like every three <laughs> words. Okay. I, I do kind of understand what you're talking about with the... I tend to over romanticize a lot of you know big sports moments. I mean, I, I, I really, I really was excited at the end of that that game seven. I, I think it was just a very proud moment for where this team was earlier in the year, and for a lot of those players that that haven't really <laughs> haven't really had much to to brag about, and some of them who still don't. Um, I, there were some moments though that, I mean, I, I mentioned those moments earlier. I really thought that Colin Wilson's goal was in in game seven. Um, was a pretty cool moment, and to be honest, like that goal wasn't worth four million, but it might have been worth one million. I mean, if he's if he's handsome Brian Bickle that actually plays defense during the regular season, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and admittedly, <laughs> if you Alex, you say you over romanticize sports moments, I probably, I, I mean, I have a reputation for under romanticizing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ask anyone who watches Spurs matches with me. I just sit like I'll be the guy sitting at the bar. And like the team will score a goal, and I'll just sit there, my arms crossed. And that's just, like, fine. <laughs> that's I'll just, fine. I'll, I'll be like, I'll nod a little bit. And be like, that's yeah. good. That was that was a good goal. Erickson, yeah, that's a good goal. He, that's perfectly fine. Harry no, Kane, no, no, completely no, 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 no. fine. Er- right. Erickson scores. We sing the song. We sing the Erickson song, and I sing 20. along. So that that's a little different. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm just I tend to be a little bit stoic. So I admit it's a personal preference thing. They followed it up. Uh, I, you know what? My reaction was just like, oh my god, I've got two more weeks of this. <laughs> there is that too because they're playing against San Jose now which is another California team so I'm immediately thinking these 930 puck drops oh. are just going to kill me and the turnaround was immediate yeah something that goes on behind the scenes here is that we didn't put a whole lot of energy into the sa- into previewing San Jose like we sent out an email before uh, right after game 6 happens that hey guys let's be, you know, keep in mind that if, if the Preds win game 7 we're going to do this if they lose we're going to do this and then they win it and like oh well Guess we got to get that series preview up. And in the historical, <laughs> the historical moment of, of course, uh, did we did, we also we didn't mention um, the round two starting before the Predators had had finished uh, round two, uh, round I'm, one, I'm, uh, which see, was, I mean, I don't think that's, not, I just think that's kind of like a neat there little was historical so moment. much whining about that. Now, see, like, I, I don't get, I thought that was like start before our series. Look at it like this: these people I mean, do other, not other follow. Do that. They don't follow combat sports. Okay, <laughs> they don't follow like boxing or MMA or anything like that because the way that NBC set it up was the Lightning versus the Islanders was the undercard in Game Seven. That's was the main event. That, mm. That's what they were well, promoting. But and this happens in other sports. They, yeah, they, they'll NBA stagger all the, the time. The, the series. I just thought it was because historically and traditionally the NHL doesn't do that. No. So I thought it was like a cool. The Predators got to be part of something new in the NHL, and then they all on the top of that got to cap it off with 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 a game seven victory. And we had to, on to freaking pay for it because we had to turn around and put a series preview within one day. <laughs> so are you saying that the one thing you'll remember about that series was how the Predators overlapped their series with the second round? Is yeah, how how the uh, the the the, trans, the 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 switch between the two games transmissions was delayed because the game the game one of round two was still going on. So yeah. years from now, when we look back, you'll remember that. Man, I, yeah, I my, was... my predator, my favorite predators moments: Martin Erat <laughs> screwing up game five, Radulov getting suspended for being five minutes late, and Lightning Islanders being on for the Predators Ducks game. <laughs> I was already like just already kind of like just bummed out because you know Ben Bishop had gotten pulled and you know being the closet Lightning fan I'm like oh well hey Dan this I, I going to go great I want to uh, I want to let you know something as your, no. as a friend you're not a closet Lightning fan <laughs> no I'm not. not even a little bit that'd be no. like calling you a closet Dustin Brown fan no, no one buys it we all already know I love Dustin. <laughs> 
He's so going to get bought out. Uh, so they followed up with the, the team that uh, probably going to cause Dustin Brown to get bowed out, and that's the San Jose Sharks. Um, stuff has not gone great so far down a 2-0 that, that series hole. depends on how you evaluate things. But, I mean, let, let's, we're going to break it down game by game. Uh, they looked strong for the first 40 minutes in game one. They looked like a team that, you know, is still riding an emotional high that's maybe a little bit tired, but you know what? They're, you know, they're in the right places. They're at least protecting the front of Pecorine. They go into the second mission. We're all feeling pretty good. No one's expecting that it's only going to be one goal in this game, and the Sharks come out mean business, and that power play starts kicking. They end up putting up uh, three um, three regular three regular goals and two empty net goals. Um, where do we come out as far as game one goes on this? I I was overall happy with the Predators' effort in game one. I think that they were really tired. I think that was obvious. Mm-hmm. You had a much fresher team that had had really the exact right amount of rest, where they were still hot. Um, still hot, still warmed up, but and not long enough where they were starting to have to like you know keep loose and do you know things like that. Whereas the Predators were coming in after an exhausting seven game series against a uh, team that hit everything. Yeah, so you, you they they came in very fatigued, and I really think they put in a really good effort. Uh, and this I think this is almost being true about both games. Bounces go a little bit different, and I think the Predators win the game. Um, which is saying something because they came in exhausted. So I was I was happy with their effort, and and I think it was a uh, for, for being a, up until the end when all the empty nets started happening. I, th- I think it was a pretty enjoyable game. I'm I'm with you. I I was I pr- knew that they were not going to come out on top in that game. I just I really felt like as soon as I saw that the Friday night start after the Wednesday night game seven and the way the Wednesday night game seven kind of just took all their energy. Even if they started out strong, which they did, I didn't see any way they'd be able to finish it out. And the Sharks just had all kinds of energy in that third period. That Joel Ward, Joel Ward goal is just so typical of what they do, and um, and and it was all just we were we were tired, we were caught up, and couldn't get back in time. And he found a crease. The Sharks had twenty high danger scoring chances in that game. The Predators yeah. had nine. Yeah, that's 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 not going to win 20 you a lot of games. Is, twenty is. That's a lot. That's for a, the, lot. For That's team, a lot. For the best team and as far as that limits scoring chances against the team that creates the most. Well, mm-hmm. That just tells you how tired they were. Yeah, that's pretty damn impressive. And, and a lot of them came in the third period. Most of these came in the yeah. third period, actually. Yeah. So, um, Do empty net goals count as high danger scoring chances? Actually, I was wondering that. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a great question. Because uh, they're pretty dangerous. Given that, that we're looking at five-on-five five numbers here and I don't see the empty net goal on the map, uh, I'm going to say no. I don't think they do. No, I'm going to say no. Um. Because I guess high danger as an empty netter is like anywhere in the offensive zone. Unless you're Callie Yarncroke. <laughs> Oof, man. <laughs> Set you up for Leave that Leave Callie alone. <laughs> Anybody? Seriously, I though, he, he could have... Oh, I'm, that could have been a really awful moment for me. Uh, as soon as he missed, I'm like, oh, no. Not like this. Not like this. Not like this. I think you should have passed it. Yeah, you should have. Game two. <laughs> uh, Predators come out with an even better effort at going, uh, going forward. And... Uh, they don't get the first goal, which was kind of disappointing because they had Martin Jones going back and forth across the net. Talking about high danger scoring chances, uh, six to seven, and against the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, you know that's yeah, that that's really more mm-hmm. the game you'd expect to see from these two teams. And I think it was definitely the Predators' game they wanted to play. Whereas on game one, I think the Predators could have won if they were lucky. I think game two, they were very unlucky not to have have won that game. Yeah, but game game one is the one I think they need to be going into the third period with at least a little bit more of a lead to be able to hold on to it. Game two, they sh- they all things being equal, they should have won that one. 
Uh, if you look at where the chances came for for mm-hmm. the sharks, the predators, uh, the predators only allowed one, a two, three, four shots. I'm sorry, how many? One, a two, a three. Okay, just making making three. sure I was counting um, correctly. Actually, four shots inside the high danger box, um, and then one goal, and then one of them was one of them was a goal. Yeah. The predators themselves had one, two, three, four, five, six shots inside that area. Six. But they still return to that volume over quality mentality. I mean, a, yeah, a lot of. If you look at where the if you look at the shot map, there's a a, a lot of them from the uh, the from the upper right side of the Web, zone. Weber Weber spot from Weber and L spot. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean that's not just a problem at five on five. And when we talk about the power play, we can talk about that more. Sure, let's go there. That goes you want, right. You want to launch into the power play? My, because, my standard power play tirade. Because right now that's the difference in this series is special teams, period. Hey, the Predators won the first series against the Ducks. I think special teams were, were part of that there. Part of that, too. They're, what, one for 20, what, at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 20-something, 27, one, 29. They've got to be, at this point, one for 30, at least. Pro- Two they've for got, 30. They've got to be getting close to that. And so, you know, the penalty kill is, you know, fine, whatever. Penalty kill is fine. The power play, if they even score at an average, like, if they're scoring 15, 17%, this is a different series. The Ducks went too. The Ducks would have been the, that series would have been over in four or five games that the Predators could score on a power play. Yeah. But what we see is is you know we look at these shot charts. We talk about where the shots are coming from. We talk about quantity over quality, and you just watch the power play, and you know what's going to happen. Everyone's going to they're going to eventually get frustrated and just cycle it to Weber and cycle mm-hmm. it to Weber and cycle it to Weber. And the hope there is either he hits it so hard that it just goes past everyone and goes in the net because there's nowhere else it could go. It misses, which happens most often because he has no accuracy. I would say he has no accuracy. He's actually had one of his better years. He has 15 power play goals, so he's just doing something right. But yeah, you're right. That is sense that he's, he's, he's the only winner of, of the uh, hardest shot contest who has missed the net multiple times <laughs> over multiple years. Yeah. Yeah. If, if he had a degree of accuracy, I, I mean... It, I, I think it may be a little lucky how many power play goals he has this year. Um, it also goes to how much they the rest of the team to first him in the power even play. Even during the regular season, the power play this year was tenth in the league. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly fine. And how many of those goal? How many of those power plays that were successful were on Weber goals? He had what fifteen? Yeah, mm-hmm. fifteen. That's a lot of power plays decided by a defenseman. Probably what like yeah. thirty or forty percent of the whole power play. Yeah, that's a score. lot yeah. of power play so, goals. And you know, I, I think he was a bit lucky to score that many. But you so know what I, he started doing as the year went on, though? He started creeping lower into the face-off circle, kind of more that Stamco Sovechkin yeah, spot. So he would miss fewer shots. He would miss fewer shots. He took a little bit off of it. Now in the playoffs, though, he's not able to creep down that low because he's going against far better penalty yeah, it, kills, it, it, and they're playing the, the same team multiple times, so the teams are getting ready for well, it. Well, it's the also so predictable. I mean, it. any film coach is going to say, they're going to send it to Weber, and Weber's going to shoot. So either cut off his angle or someone take the life in your own hands you know, we saw with Vlasic taking a puck oh off my. the face. I think at this uh, point, it's so predictable. And predictability is not what's going to win you playoff games. There's no creativity in the offense outside of a few players. Like Wilson, super creative. It's finally paying off in the playoffs. Love to see that creativity play off. Forsberg is not being his normal creative self game in and game he out. He doesn't have any space out there anymore. And so he's yeah. not. he can't do what he needs to do. And then you, I don't see a lot of creativity from anyone else. Neil is just going to shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, I mean, we ha- we've seen Ribeiro actually take shots, but he's going to pass pretty much most of the time, so you know he's going to do that. So there's a lot of predictability, and that's a problem, especially in the power play when the team's only playing defense. Um, there's a lot that's been said and written about how the power play and special teams in general 
how much do they do they really affect you know a team's a team's playoff you know success mm-hmm. but i think that there's something to you know even 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 if math just forget math for a second just just ignore it for for just a few moments how do we do that on the show man i feel better though <laughs> ignore math for a second so and plus think about minus. Think let's about, talk about plus minus think about what it does for your team because when when your power play stops working what you start doing is you start overthinking and you start saying, hey, we need to get Paul Gostad into the offensive zone for, on this power play to win us a faceoff. Screen the net. And you start and screening the net. And all of a sudden, you've got Paul Gostad with significant power play time. All of a sudden, and all that is because the power play wasn't working, so we got to change something. If you just, if you had some modicum of, a modicum of success on the power play, Paul Gostad's not in that faceoff circle late in the game trying to win a power play faceoff. Agreed? Yeah. I, I I think there's For a lot to that. For all you kids out there, well, it also it even extends <laughs> into the five on five play. I think yeah. uh, the the there was a chart drop today that shows um you know goals per game by each team. Nashville's in the last place of all the remaining playoff teams with two goals per game. Oh. That's a huge huge issue. Well, they did play the best defensive team in the NHL in the first round. I'm not terribly surprised at that number. And are they playing the best defensive team in the NHL now? Playing one of the better goalies. Playing one Mark. of the better goalies. Martin Jones has the highest, uh, as well, actually, no, the second highest uh, high danger save percentage and, but, out of but, all the remaining goalies. But they're losing, getting rid of net goals, they're losing 2-3, two, 2-3. Three, two, three. Mm-hmm. It's happening over and over. I mean, yeah. that, at oh, that yeah. point, you're saying, okay, well, we're just not good enough to beat them then. Oh, without a doubt, the scoring has not been there. Yeah, and so I think if he's like, well, it's the best defensive team, it's the best goal team, well, you have to find a way to pick that lock at some point, or you might as well just say, hey, you know, thanks for having us, mm-hmm. but we just don't have the scoring, which between Johansson and Fort Johansson, oh my, the Sharks, the commentators on TV yeah. have finally gotten to me. Ryan, I'm going to say Bieto. I'm going to see Bieto next. Or Ribeiro. Ryan Wilson. <laughs> Ryan Wilson. Oh. He no, the, 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 the Bieto thing is killing me. The Bieto is rough. Um, they're finally starting to crack me. Um, but with, with all the scoring talent that the Predators have at this point, the yeah. fact that they cannot score is is worries me a little bit. And I, I don't agree. know if it's just the goals are coming and it's been bad luck, or they're not getting into because they're not always consistently getting into the areas they need to get into. It's just it's it is outside of the power play is the thing that worries me most is offensive creativity and and getting to where they need to be because I think. Besides, like Colin Wilson, I think Mike Fisher works really hard to get into the areas he needs to be in, but I don't see it from everybody. Here's here's kind of a, a reality that I have accepted, and this is an ugly, disgusting reality. But what we saw in Game Six and Game Seven against Anaheim, we were in a very similar position. You know, the team was down three to two, lost three straight games because the other team did such a good job sealing the way the front of their net, and Nashville couldn't do anything about it. I mean, it, it was tough. So what? It, so what happened? Game six and game seven, the Predators sealed the front of their net. And essentially, to use a soccer analogy, it's almost like they conceded possession. Mm-hmm. This doesn't always work in hockey, but if you can keep the other team away from the front of your net and then play for a rush, teams do do this, and they do win. I mean, that's how the Rangers went to two straight uh, you know, conference finals. Here's the problem with that, though, with the Sharks team specifically. I think you're absolutely right. That's exactly how the Ducks got beaten. I don't know that you can frustrate this Sharks team. I don't know if you can frustrate them, but you can at least. But they're not a very fast team. You can break out the zone against these guys. They have a very, they have a very old defensive yeah, core. Yeah. They have a very kind of a slow forward core. I just think that the problem with the Ducks and the the thing that we really exposed was when they couldn't get that goal and they got frustrated. We we were able to counter on them and able to really stick it to them. The Sharks team is just 
overall, they just have so many so many good players yeah, in so many areas. But something Nashville cannot do right now is they can't get past the Sharks' forecheck. Yeah, because yeah. the Sharks right now are essentially giving Nashville the puck when they and just say, "Hey, just just try." Yeah, it. and there's there's a few things that I I think are really go really go against the Predators, in, in that I I am not huge. I'm not a big fan of the the Predators' board play, either on the forecheck or in their own zone. And against a team like the Sharks, it has a lot of size, a lot of muscle. Uh, that's even weaker for them. So I think their weak board play, which they seem to they still push and they fight for that board play all the time. Um, it just get they just bossed around, and there's such good puck movement with the Sharks that running a counterattack style. The thing that worries me about that is that you're playing a team that's really good at passing the puck around to each other. Yeah. So you have to actually get that puck turned over without giving up a ton of shots in order to make that work. And it, I don't know if the Predators can do that. They remind me a lot of the, um, and I'm, I say this about successful teams, but like the Kings and the Bruins when they were when they were on their cup runs, what did they have? A lot of big, rangy players that didn't have to skate a whole lot. They didn't. I mean, look at how the Sharks play. No one's skating incredibly fast. When you look at the when you look at how the Sharks play, everyone's in the right position. Everyone's at the position at the right time, and they're just waiting on the puck to come to them half the time. I mean, they're moving around very smartly, but it's like it's a it's like they're playing basketball out there. They're just rotating around different pieces, drawing attention to one another. Yeah, it's and it's they're not over, thing. but they're not over skating anything. So you're not catching them a whole lot out of offensive position. Now, if you can get out of the zone against them and get on a rush, I like your chances. But it's going to take a. That's the reason why I was advocating for the use of um, use of breaking the glass and the use of Austin Watson is because he's a big, rangy guy. Hmm. He that's the only way he scores is by driving the net, and that's how he scored a lot of goals at other levels is just by hanging around the net and just punching stuff in. That's something the Predators haven't been able to do on Martin Jones so far. Now he won't make it. He's not going to be the difference in the series by any means. I mean, if we're talking about Austin Watson being the difference in the series, then we got other problems. But he at least gives you something different. I don't know who you would take out of the lineup, though. I mean, I have my hopes and dreams of Mike Ribeiro, but that's not probably not going to happen. You wouldn't take Gostad out? You know what? No. He's played fine. He's played fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if Cody Bass was healthy, I would actually put Bass in over Gostad because Bass at least wins face-offs against Ryan Kessler, <laughs> and Cody Bass is in, it, frankly, skates better. Cody Bass on the power play. I've Worse ideas have worked. <laughs> I wouldn't be a fan of yeah, it, but worse I, ideas have worked. I, I do think there's also an issue of the Predators coming up against. Uh, like I, The Sharks strike me as being a pretty unique team um, in the NHL period. They have what I think is a really perfect blend of veterans who are a combination of one, like right at the, the a good age, like they're 30-year-old veterans, like right in that sweet spot where they're like on Pavelski's the decline. 32... Uh, uh, Burns is getting close to yeah, 30. Bur- Bur- Burns is 30. Yeah, Couture is like they, in his late 20, 20s. 26, 27. Mid-20s. Yeah. Then you've got some You've got some really good young talent. Don then, Scoy, uh, yeah, Melko Carlson. Hurdle is out. Yeah, I think he's at Hurdle. Hurdle um, yeah. And then you, I mean, and then you've got like some, I, I think Pavelski is a fantastic talent, obviously. You've got Joe Thorne, who is a generational talent. How about Paul Martin? Paul Martin has allowed Brent Burns to have a career year. Mm-hmm. Talking about a, a signing that everyone kind of scoffed at a little bit, like <laughs> they're bringing in Paul Martin. Look at this crap. Yeah, but there's there's all these really great pieces, and they they brought in a goaltender who was shuffled out of L.A. and shuffled out of. And he's cheap. Where was he then? He was next, in, he was, was he was traded. He was in L.A. I thought he went to Philly. No, 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 no. No, he played in L.A. Was the backup. They traded him to Boston, Boston and then Boston right. immediately traded him to L.A. the next yeah. day, or the same yeah, say the next day. They ended up with a really solid young goaltender. Um, he's who cheap, but who allows them work. to go do other things? Yeah, I, it, it, I don't understand. 
Uh, one, I understand like there's some holes in the lineup. The defense kind of drops off a little steeply sometimes. Uh, I don't. I mean, a little top, bit. A top four is pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't. I, maybe they lack a little bit. Of, I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I've never been as down in the Sharks as a lot of people were at the start of the season. Uh, I just thought maybe the Ducks were better. The Kings might be better. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really what they were facing. Uh, and granted, the stand. That's how the standings really shook out. But I, I mean, I think the Sharks are a really good team. I think they're a really unique team. I don't hate uh, it. It's hard not to hate them. It's hard well, to hate the Sharks. Well, what's like following, like looking at my Twitter feed, everyone's like, well, now people finally underst- like, understand why I hate the Sharks. And a lot of people were saying that. And I'm like, I don't understand. There are mm-hmm. actually a bunch of like quality, thoughtful, decent human beings playing really good hockey. Yeah. There's a lot of con- like locker room controversy, but it seems to be mostly at the management level. I think um, pr- prior to this, and in fact, actually, in the, the preview that I wrote for the uh, Fords, um, I, I mentioned that I was more worried about the. Joel Ward, Couture, uh, Donskoy line than I was the top line. And in two games, they've got four goals, three assists, seven points in two games. And they've been the better possession line of that of those two lines. Yeah. I, that, I, that, that line is so dynamic and good. I mean, they, they do everything, everything you want in a forward line to do, they do well. Yeah, I, I think if, if the Predators don't find a way to beat the Sharks, I, th- I think the Sharks have a legit chance to go to the Stanley Cup final. I said the that, way they've yeah. been playing. I said that to a, uh, a coworker of mine later. Earlier I, today. Honestly, I won't even be upset. No, I mean, I'm <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I'm sure I've seen the show, and I've, I'm very open. Like, you know, I'd, I'd cheer for the Sharks in the Stanley Cup final. I have no yeah. problem with that. And that's not us, like, resigning to just doom here. I mean, not to mention, who am I going to cheer from coming from the East? I mean, bolts, 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 bolts. I mean, whoever comes out of the bolts, I think whoever comes out of the the bolts Islander series is going to get stomped by whoever comes out of the the Probably, Pittsburgh yeah. Washington Which series. Capitals. And I don't want to. I don't. I can't cheer for either Pittsburgh or Washington to be successful in anything. And I'm like, I like the Sharks. I like the color. I like their. I like the teal instead of the black jerseys they've been wearing the playoffs the past few years. The, the Bay Area has had the San Francisco Giants win three titles in five years. The Golden State Warriors just finished a historic year, and they won the title last year. And if the Sharks uh, win the title this year, oof, that's that's, a, that's that, unfair. That's man, yeah, that is good. That's well, that's all the all the competent people want to move out to the Bay Area. I don't know if people consider San Jose part of the Bay Area. Yeah, they are. They're the Athletics really aren't very good. Um, their network they're is inland. Their network is CSN Bay Area. Uh, Metallica, noted San Francisco rock band, plays as uh, are huge Sharks fans. Well, I didn't. Okay, people in San Francisco can be. I mean. Just because they're fans doesn't make the San Jose isn't a isn't on the water. Like I think of Bay Area being on the bay, not inland. <laughs> I think you're splicing words a bit, but yeah, okay. Dan, Dan and I will splice words. San Jose's city limits do extend to the water. <laughs> oh well, good for them. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like in the like if the Bay Area is kind of like let's say it's like the shape of my cell phone right here. San, San Jose is like right here, and this Google Maps broadcast is. Uh, our podcast is brought to you by Bing. <laughs> I hate Bing. Bing it with Google. Bing is evil. <laughs> What's the number one use of Bing to go to Google? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, How do I use an Explorer? What is it for? It's download Google Chrome. Let's go and take our break. Uh, we have plenty of Twitter questions. We got a couple of comment section questions. We got a few Twitter questions we're going to ignore. Um, Ouch. Yeah, sorry. Uh, just realistic, you know. I, I'm, we're not going to discuss whether or not something's a sandwich or not. It's like you, you drive, you, you, we do, we go two weeks without recording a show and it's just like the journey to the Dalai Lama's, you know, uh, place you're crawling up the mountain and you have to, you ask him one question and, and no, we're not answering that. 
All right, coming up the other side of the break, we're going to uh, go a little bit deeper into the series. Also take a look around the rest of the league. We got your questions, the ones that are deemed worthy, and maybe some other stuff as well. Also, I have a very awesome designer stat that Chris Link will absolutely enjoy. Uh, I don't the, enjoy anything. You know that. It, it's It's fine. It's fine. This is the Predcast brought to you on thefourcheck.com and Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need a partner current in latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back in. So uh, before we get to the rest of the uh, playoff series, um, I do want to spend a little bit of time on that because, you know, someone in this market has to talk about other other teams. Uh, let's get into the Twitter questions first. Um, let's lead off with Chris McCormack. He writes in the question that uh, probably it's on a lot of Predators' minds, a lot of Predators' fans' minds, and maybe the, maybe the team themselves. He writes in, besides Ribeiro, who has been the worst player in the playoffs for Nashville? I believe I just go with Mike Ribeiro on that one. Mm-hmm. Mike Ribeiro. Who's number two? <laughs> that that I think that was number. That's it's you named number one, and I named number two, right? And the and the the commenter named number three. That's everyone. Hmm. I think that's everyone. I mean, I, okay, all right. Let's let's all breathe <laughs> and <laughs> breathe <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it doesn't even feel fair. But I I mean, Potato hasn't been very good um, for the most. He's had moments of brilliance, but he's typically fairly mediocre to poor. Um, but I don't. I'm not really bothered by that because that's really my expectation Number for six him. Defenseman. I yeah, know. I, I, I'm someone who's played particularly poor. I know mine. Uh, I mean Salamaki. I've not never been on the Salamaki. Tra- Salamaki. Wow. He had the a, Salamaki train. He had some good hits, and that's when your when your most memorable moment is hitting that yeah, one guy. Yeah, I've sort like I, I've. <laughs> Feel free to go back to the, the archives of the Predcasts. I say that Salamaki is a less good Gabriel Bork who, can't, who, who doesn't score. Yeah. Um, and it does, so, I mean, he's been the same thing, and, and I just think he's kind of non-existent. Um, I, I, I think that's a problem. Kind of two. I guess there's really only one. but And it's really more... This may be unfair because he, he lost Craig Smith as a line mate, but... I th- and, and he also had Mike Ribeiro as a line mate. Oh, no. But I think, I, I, and I, I'm going against my, my now current all-time favorite Predator. I think Philip Forsberg has had a rough series, a, a rough playoffs, I'm sorry, a rough nine mm-hmm. games. Um, I mean, he has three points, a goal and two assists, and for a, a player that led our team in scoring for most of the year, in fact, did he finish in, in the lead in scoring? 
That's not going to cut games. it. Yeah. I mean, a, th- a third of a point in nine uh, per game in nine games. I mean, he has been a different player. Now, I think he's sort of starting to come out of it. I think he's uh, he's. I think his problem is that he's just trying so hard to be that physical presence, and he just doesn't need to play to your strength. You are a skilled player that can score goals. Do that. Don't, don't worry about doing anything else. The world. You don't have to. Don't have the to. World. But even like the against the Ducks, he um, he allowed a two on one, be, or he allowed a breakaway because he chose to hit the other guy. Oh, he chose to right. That. Yes, that was exactly. a prime example. Yeah. I, 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 the pattern that I'm looking for from Forsberg, because I think that's a that's a perfectly valid answer. And the, the thing I'm looking for for Forsberg is what we've seen from him in other instances, where he does he he has a high level of play, finds a new barrier, and has to overcome that barrier. And that's really what we saw uh, last year, last season, coming into this season. Was he was was Forsberg breaking through that barrier, and I think, and well, what I I should say, what I want to think is we're seeing the same thing in the playoffs. Where mm-hmm. he's he's really seeing this is a new barrier, he has to find a way to break through, and we're seeing him do things that are not characteristic of you know going for those hits. They're going to put him in a position and give an advantage to the other team, not trying to be a creative offensive player. I don't know, do like it. It is seriously like he sold. I wish I could remember the name of of the evil villain from Little Mermaid. Um, Ursula. Ursula. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's seriously. It's it's. Do you it's have a sister of, growing up? No, I just like the okay. movie. <laughs> yeah. it, it is very much like he is Ariel selling his voice to the Colin Wilson that is Ursula, because now Colin Wilson, who granted I think he's done this for most of the season, is like, oh, I'm gonna dance through the offensive zone, get a shot on net, recover the puck, pass it to someone else, and then I'm already back in defensive position to cover the rush going the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 but I mean that's that's more mysticism than anything else. And Forsberg, I'm he's at a he's at a pretty a pretty um formidable formidable time in his career. I mean he's 21. He's we're still kind of trying to figure out what kind of player he's going to be. Um, this is if this is just a hiccup, you know I I'm not about to to forego my president uh, presidency of the Forsberg fan club, but um. He's got to step it up. He's Don had a good series. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, the other one that I might go with will be Ryan Johansson. Now, he has three goals, two of which have been pretty meaningless goals. So he's got one goal, and for a guy that was brought in to do what he's supposed to do, that's not going to cut it either. But he's been better than Forsberg, and I'll give him that. And his connection with Neil has gotten better recently. So how about um, how about James Neal? Because uh, Neil's um, Neil had a, a really kind of cool first you know five first like shift of the series and then the, his one goal that he had against the ducks in uh, game six was all ryan johansson sure was almost all ryan johansson mm-hmm. so uh that kind of not to completely just you know dismiss your ryan johansson oh no i, right I agree with you i think those kind of come together but i mean you are i mean they say every year in they're in the playoffs your top line is going to be taken out taken out of the game yeah so it makes sense they're putting Forsberg back with him. But yeah, the, 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 all these answers are remotely unfair because Mike Ribeiro has by far been the worst. Uh, <laughs> it's not even really close. Um, following up with that, uh, Matthew Collier writes in, uh, am I the only person who thinks that 3D Link would make a better number two center than Mike Ribeiro? The answer is no. Um, I, I'd put you out there. I'd take that contract. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I think oh, it'd be fine. Yeah, I mean, sure. your, your I, job's going to be to skate between I mean, two very handsome players and, and Craig Smith and and, uh, and Philip Forsberg. I, I, can, I mean, I can ice skate okay. Um, I am I am a slightly better passer than Chris Martell. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm ready. Hmm. Can you win face-offs better than, uh, than Ribeiro and or Charlie Sonnier? Um, hmm. 
I don't know if I have the innate sense of rage to do that. I don't okay. know if I have the innate sense of rage. All right. Um, well, I, I, I will. I will take. I, I will happily swing my stick at people. I mean, will that is will that help? Probably. I don't know enough curse words to replace Mike Ribeiro. I think. Ah, uh, yeah, and, and multiple languages too, right? Multiple languages. I can fake French. No. I'm. I'm I can see that. <laughs> I mean, I I have instant like step me stepping in the ice. There's an instant advantage of there is like a hundred and twenty percent less jackassery instantly. That you're not giving yourself enough credit there. Well, I'm trying Plus to stay within, within the realm of of mathematics, but yeah, 200%. I guess you could two hundred percent. Rachel Freeman writes in one hundred percent for him as a player. Why is the predator's power play about as effective as a stormtrooper shooting at you? And uh, mm. so clearly we're talking about the uh, original trilogy Stormtroopers. Because they got much better. They did. The Clone Troopers were great in the prequel. They were they were very good, very talented. And then the, the First Order Stormtroopers, very well trained. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how you get the Clone Troopers. Like, I guess they were deteriorating as clones by the time you got to yeah, the next three movies. So. I mean, cause, you know, because they just couldn't hit anything. But they were trained from birth to be excellent marksmen. And they, their genetics um, were perfect, man. Django Fed. I mean, he, bad dude. I, I don't know why people. I, I, sorry, I I I could no, start referencing the Clone Clone Wars cartoon because I don't understand why they couldn't find another person to. Because there was a whole thing about oh we might lose our genetic samples and we're running low on cloning samples we won't be able to do more so it's like you have to find someone else I'm like it's a galaxy of how many people you can't find one guy who's a badass <laughs> like. I have uh, yeah, the I Clone Wars cartoon series fixed a lot of problems the prequel started, but they also raised a lot of really stupid questions because again, it's a cartoon. It's not exactly the most complex thing. Where was I going before I got detailed? Why, Star Star Why is the Predator's power play about as effective as a stormtrooper shooting at you? Well, it's predictable, and it's it mostly predicated on Shea Weber hitting the puck as hard as he can towards the net. I think what's frustrating is that they've been better at getting it into the zone during the Shark series. They they were, they were couldn't even get in the zone during the Duck series because the Ducks' power play, penalty kill was so much better. But they've actually been able to get it into the zone, and then they just they 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 try to get it to the Shea Weber. They don't have Yossi where he needs to be. Forsberg is totally switched from what he's trying to do, and Johansson I think doesn't like. I don't know. I think Johansson doesn't like being in that sort of. Um, trapezoid, the Gretzky's office kind of situation. I don't think he likes that. I think he wants to be on that wing. I think he wants to be kind of coming out to the side, uh, kind of where James Neal usually goes. Um, but that's a problem. I think he needs to be there. We've got to have someone yeah. back there. And he's he's got the body for it too. This power play was only really effective when uh, when when they first brought in Johansson. They had Ribeiro kind of in the Gretzky office yeah. position. You had Johansson and Yossi on the wings, and then you had uh, Neil on the center with, uh, it's like a 1-3-1. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder how that would work against the Sharks. That was better. I don't know how it would work. It might work fine. I, I mean, mean it, it, it's it's a matter of are the are the players going to be in the right position to pick those up and make plays? Um, I mean, you, that's a situation where you cannot have Ribeiro on a wing. You, he has to be the one behind the net. There's no other option. Because, because he's not shooting it anyways, regardless. Yeah, because the guys in the wing have to get it in so that the guy who's, so, so that, I mean, they just have to be able to get there and get it in. You have to have active pinching. And there's, it, it, I think it's a more complicated power play doing it that way, more rotation. And the Predators would much rather rotate the puck than rotate bodies, uh, which I think is, is an issue that they run into. Um, and and this is true at 5-on-5 five five play as well when they're trying to do a setup play in the zone. The Predators are happy to let the other team push them to the outside. 
I, I think the idea being that, okay, though, we'll, let, we'll let them expand and we'll move the puck in clever ways, and then they'll be out of position because we'll pull out of position. The goaltender will be moving laterally. Um, yeah, that, that sometimes works, but a lot of times it just results in the Predators passing the puck a lot if the other power play has, or the other, the PK has, has discipline. And the Sharks are a disciplined team, so they're going to keep their shape. Yeah. And it also helps if your forwards are locked in, which they are not right now. Yeah. And passing the puck in circles is not scary to most PKs that are in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, especially teams that are in the playoffs. Uh, Smashville's Finest writes in, Will the play of Pecorine pay dividends in this series eventually? Meaning that Rene keeps turning in these kind of results. We're going to see something good, right? I mean, I, I hope... As kind of Lundquist. Ooh. I, they made it, they've made it you know, deep into the playoffs a few times recently, yeah. but Lundquist, I mean, goaltending... There's a the difference. Only to get you so far. The, mm. the difference there is that the Rangers have absolutely failed building around Lundqvist in his prime, whereas the Predators at least tried to do something. Mm-hmm. Matt Krebs writes in: Would you rather have Forsberg on the first line or keep him on the second line for the rest of the series? I I thought about this. I I think I'd rather see him on the first line. I just don't, I think he's hampered too much by Ribeiro. Were you going to say you should keep him on the second line? No, 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 no. I but I like that answer. Um. I think uh, what I'd like to see from Forsberg is to have him played uh, situationally so that he's not assigned to the first or the second line. He is, we have the matchup, like we're getting the matchup that we want to have. Let's get Forsberg out there with these guys. Just throw a curve, but just change it up when it seems like the right thing to do. Leave it up to the coach to be like, this is the time to get him out there. And try to put him in a position to be successful. Say, we want you to go out there, be creative, create, you know, be be a playmaker, uh, be a game changer. Don't be looking for hits. Don't be, you know, trying to just always back, be ready to back check. You need to be the one who's creating. And and then find situations where you can do that. I mean, that's where the coach can have a lot of influence and really change the way a game is played and give his team a boost. Is looking for ways to deploy his elite talent in ways that are in, in unexpected ways. And I think Forsberg is flexible enough to do that. Though Ribeiro is obviously a limiting factor. I agree with Alex on that. I, I think he plays fast enough. Forsberg plays fast enough to be on that top line, and Ribeiro is just not playing that fast. I say to hell with both of you. I Put <laughs> I, put uh, him in net. Put Peck up front. I would, uh, I would do a complete shuffle on this. I do like the idea of having like a uh, having kind of a flex player where you have, let's say you, you put in a rotation that is Wilson, Yarnkirk, Arvidsson. That sounds great on paper, but here's the thing I don't like is that Colin Wilson does, I mean, Colin Wilson's backhand is effective, but if you put him on his right, put him on the right side, he's not going to shoot near as much. And mm-hmm. Colin Wilson, his spot to shoot from throughout his career is the faceoff circle to the left of the goalie. So the goalie's having to move to his right to stop Colin Wilson. I put Colin Wilson, I mean, at the top line, I roll out with, um, I still keep Yarncroke up there just because Yarncroke keeps stuff moving. Um, I like the idea of a new second line that is um, Philip Forsberg on the uh, on the right side, Mike Fisher in the middle, Colin Wilson on the left side. Fisher's your net front guy. You have Wilson and Forsberg that, are, that can both skate and create space for each other, mm-hmm. and they're both going to be in the position where they both like to shoot. Forsberg likes to shoot from the other from the other faceoff circle, so you have natural shooting uh, natural shooting spots for them. And then you roll out uh, Craig Smith with, uh, with uh, Mike Ribeiro, which because they do have decent chemistry. And what the hell? Put out Victor Arvidsson on the third. Yeah, or, or on that's now your de facto third line, I guess. Right. But 
you know, there worse things have happened. Worse really things have worked. Two A and two B, I guess. But that at least, like that at least. Uh, plus, yeah, you just touched on it right there. Is that you can run off the Fisher line with Wilson and Forsberg, two very good two way forwards, against a better offensive unit, and maybe get them out. Maybe take out that uh, that, uh, or maybe get the top line off their game. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Vic, the idea of Victor Arvidsson's as like this jailbreak type of player that can skate with Craig Smith. And then you have Mike Ribeiro, who's this complete scumbag change of pace because he skates <laughs> like he skates in second gear where everyone else is like tearing through first, fourth, you know, fifth, blah, blah, blah. and then Mike Ribeiro's just like plodding along behind the play. But you have to keep account of that guy because, you know, he's number one, you should, your eyes should always be on Mike Ribeiro, but also number two, that he's, he's he skates at a completely different velocity than everybody else. So it, having a having artisan be kind of the breakout player with, with someone who can keep pace with Smith and, yeah. you know, he's not going to. He, he, his shot is obviously weak. He's not going to get a lot of goals. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, if only if if only they had a slightly better version of him and hadn't just ditched him because he wasn't fulfilling the expectations of the fan base. It, 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 even there was he, he was even Swedish too. I mean, it's crazy, right? Who Bergfors? No, Stahlberg. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about talk, a, a guy who skates really hard, does does things that they aren't expected, but doesn't score a lot of goals. Because his shot isn't that, because his hands aren't that great. If you're comparing Victor Arvidsson to Victor Stahlberg, oof, that's a that's a tough one for me. Because Victor Arvidsson, pardon, Victor Arvidsson's on an entry level contract. That's for a, one. Yeah, I knew that, that, that. I was gonna ignore the contract thing because that's yeah. that's the only reason people aren't like. <laughs> right. If you if if Arvidsson was getting paid three million, we want his head on a pike. Um, but once you hit the playoffs, guess what? Their contract for the season is paid, so they're on yeah. free time. I and mean, they've got, they're, was, they're playing for health insurance Stahlberg and glory. Was effective of was pretty effective in the Stahlberg is very effective. He's he's effective in every team he's played for. He's just not effective in in, in at three million dollars. No, hell no. Um, but contract aside, I would much rather have a Stahlberg than an Arvidsson in that very situation. Gotcha. In that particular situation, okay. Of I, I playing playoff mean. hockey with Smith. Disagree, but we can move on. Uh, Brett Garrett Meeks writes in, uh, if Nashville gets swept out of the playoffs by the Sharks, would you be okay with the season that they had? And what's a realistic goal for this club? I think they've already achieved like the realistic goal. Um, I think before the season, maybe we were a little bit more, we were a bit more overzealous about this team because, well, they don't have a number one center and uh, they're over here town all this defense and they're talking real big, then I'm expecting at least a uh, conference finals appearance. I'm at least expecting a division title or something. Now that they've made the trade for Johansson and they've moved that timetable forward, I'm okay with with how, with how far they've gotten. Now, I would love to see him go on to win the Cup. I'd love to see him win this. But I'm not going to be angry and calling for David Poyle's job if the Predators do, I mean, they do end up getting eliminated by the Sharks. I don't want to see him get swept because that's humiliating. No, I, I think a sweep would be counterproductive. I really do. I, I don't think, I think a sweep would almost counteract the, the, win, the series win over the Ducks. I really do. I'd almost rather not make the playoffs. I don't want to get swept. However, I I think I, I if we lose in five, or definitely six or seven, I I'm gonna go to the one of those. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the game and pay pay my respects, tip my hat to the team, and say, "Nice job, you put together a pretty good team this year. Now go f- make, fix the problems, and we'll see you next year." Didn't didn't we set the second round as our expectation? At the start of the season, at least either the uh, I think most of us had like a like some type of either winning a playoff round or a division title or or something. None of it, no one is was expecting a, a cup final or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, and they need to go out with their heads held high, and 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 that's that's if, if they're gonna get knocked out, get knocked out with their hel- heads held up high, and, and they've met my expectations and exceed them a little bit given given some of the challenges they've had through this season. Yeah. 
Uh, damn it, Prez writes in. That's really his handle. I love it. Uh, at what point do the Preds wake up and shake up the lineup with any of Austin Watson, Kevin Fiala, or Pontus Oberg? They don't, unless someone gets hurt. I mean, it, I mean that's why they're. I mean, that's what the Black Aces there for. Would you be opposed though to like an Austin Watson filling in for Mika Salamaki? Oh, no, no, certainly not. Um, you know, those kind of low level substitutions, I think they make sense, especially if your team is struggling. Uh, I, I don't think Austin Watson fixes the problem the Predators are having. I wouldn't mind uh, seeing him on the power play though. I mean, it's it's worth a shot, but it's just I I think it's sort of a, a it, it feels a little bit desperate, which maybe the Predators need to be a little bit desperate. You're down two zero. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, once you, once you lose a game at home, I'll, I'll give you the desperation. Yeah. Uh, thing. Uh, I could see yeah. Watson. I don't. I couldn't see Auberg. No, nah, I think this is uh this is job shadowing for him and for uh, Merrick Mazinich right now. Yeah, I think, and and I had someone uh, very angry uh, that. Uh, Mazenik was the one called up, and it wasn't um, wasn't UC. wasn't Soros, and then and then it wasn't. But a day later, and I was like, and I was like, well, you know, I think it makes sense that you know Mazenik's more likely to be the backup in the future, and they want to have Soros be focusing the starter, and and then of course the announcement came out that Soros is going to be on the Finnish World yep. Cup team. Makes perfect sense. And then I'm like, oh well, clearly you want him out there playing for his, and he would have wanted to go to play for that, and not just sit sit in the practice room and, and sit in a suit, right. Uh, so that made a lot more sense. So, you know, I, I think that's good. And, and getting Mosnick some time with the big club and, and hopefully, you know, learning what whatever therapy services that Hutton provides to uh, Pekka so that Mosnick can take over the therapy job next season. Uh, I, I think that'd be great. Sounds good. Andrew Verenkamp writes in, uh, they can get traffic in front of the net, but will they? Will juggling line help her help or her generating chances? Mm, yeah, I kind of like your idea about the about the second line with Fisher down there with Wilson. I, I like it too. I'm so I, he, when he explained it, yeah. broke it down for me. I was sold because Fisher can bring that. I think regardless of how old he is, he does. He can get into the middle of that ice and he will get shots off. He just does. That's kind of what he does. That that's his game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it, and that works in every single you know level of hockey. Doesn't matter what level you're at. Um, I do like the idea of, of kind of like the you being able to play the Ribeiro at the barrel line maybe a little bit more sparingly. Maybe you put Craig Smith out on the power play a little bit more just because he finds a way to get to the puck to the net. They just keep moving Ribeiro down the, the lineup until eventually, like when they go they, when they head back to like San Jose, the series, you know, and it's like he just like, just 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 stay home, just stay home, and they just fly without him. And it's like you're you're on you're on the fifth line. You're 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 the seventh fan. You're the seventh man. Seventh man. Ooh. Yeah, instead of Bar Murphy, we have Mike Ribeiro commercials. Oh God, people would actually hate. Find that. a way to get it worse. <laughs> Found yeah, a way right. to make it worse. Yeah, I just, this Jersey. I just made you thankful for Bar Murphy. You're welcome. <laughs> Mike Ribeiro would like the next question. <laughs> uh, got some ones from the comments section, real quick. Uh, let's see. Uh, BKB <laughs> BBKB09 writes in. Uh, given the Preds lineup, should Pred fans really be upset about being down to nothing in this series? Says we Wait, said it again. I'm sorry. He's asking if Predators fans should really be upset about being down to nothing in this series. I'm not upset about it. I mean, it's you're it, hockey fans. Be irrationally angry about everything. That's uh, what. He, that's why you this love this sport. This is some legitimately like uh, he says. I see the second round has found money and a chance to really see the shortcomings in this lineup. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, dude. Wait, is that really an OTF commenter? Yes. And this guy's been commenting for years. Did he comment when I was like... Yes. Okay. This guy has been what around... What was the name again? BVKV09. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's been around for forever and a day. Yeah. Practically the mayor in Knoxville at this point. Um, <laughs> they have a mayor? I thought it was just like the school just ran everything. The athletic director is actually the mayor. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say. It's like I don't know who the I don't know who the coach of the volunteers is. Wait, Philip Fulmer. <laughs> His name is Philip Fulmer. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> no, that's two two really dumb UT references. I don't know what's happening. <sighs> and Link didn't get any either of them. Okay, you want to know how much college football I watch? <laughs> Let's also take a step back. We were at a viewing party a uh, couple weeks ago at in Franklin. And Link's looking around the room and says, I don't think my 401k is big enough to be in this room. <laughs> yeah, and Dan didn't get it. It was a joke. No, I, I got your joke immediately, but I'm like, dude, it's, it's Brewhouse in Franklin. We're not at freaking Morton's, all right? <laughs> well, there were, I'm just saying, there were there were a lot of, of people wearing uh, khaki shorts and not cargo shorts. And they were wearing just, just khaki shorts and, and polos. Yeah, man. And that's, I mean, that's... I mean that's the Brentwood thing, yeah, and that's fine. Um, but now, it's peak, just peak peak Williamson just, County though is like an old. It was Miss very shirt. white. It was just very white in there. Any, anytime you see like an old Miss shirt, and, and that's people who are like trying to pretend that they're old money. That's like next level Williamson County. I thought <laughs> Ole Miss was the racist school. It used to be. It's not anymore. Musa Monster writes in, uh, man, they talk or about... Is that Lazio? I get them confused. Lazio. <laughs> that's uh, the... the uh, it's, it's, it's Italian. Lazio. Lazio. Yeah, that one's done. For those, look, look that one up online when you're on time. What, is, not, what does Musa Monster say? He writes in, uh, what is holding up Ribeiro? Are other teams just keying in on him? Or are we seeing a drop-off at the wrong time? Musa? Yeah. Can I call, it, can I yeah. call you Musa? He is a... He's a um, his uh, signature, you'd appreciate this, is the I demon know. spawn of Cthulhu come to haunt the world using OTF comments. Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, Cthulhu was a, was a Lazio fan. Do Probably. Know, do you know uh, who said that, by the way? Hmm? Do you know who said that, by the way? Who? That was me. That's, that was really good. <laughs> uh, Mike Ribeiro is not very good. And everyone's like, well, look at his assist. Well, he, yeah, well, when you dish, when, when your job is to give the puck to really good players and you play some really crappy teams throughout the season, you're going to pick up some points. Um, but Mike Ribeiro has been bad at the back end of the season. He had a good, I think he had a good start to the season. He had a bad back end of the season, and now he's just tired. And really, just is tired. I think it goes back to what that other commenter said, and that it, this really, this series, if nothing else, whether we get swept or whether we come back and some find a way to win it, will really expose some of the major problems with this roster. And Micro Barrow is one of those. This team needs a true set two C to be successful. <laughs> You're right. It doesn't have that two C well, player for depth. No, we, uh, it does, it we needed went out there. T- we felt we thought we needed to address the need, and uh, we have signed. Uh, uh, David Backus to a uh, $5.5 million deal for the next seven years. No, it needed a top one C. <laughs> I hear Andrew Ladd's going to be available. <laughs> it needed a top one C, but it didn't need a talent vacuum on the other lines that just makes everyone else bad. That doesn't mean... that doesn't. You could have Crosby or, or Ovechkin on the top line if you have a that bad of another center on another line that's just making everybody worse. Not just the fact that he's... Not just the talent efficiency part of it, just he, there's no imagination to his game right now where it's just very 
predictable. You know exactly what you're going to get from him. He did take several slap shots. It's almost like that was just kind of like game. he's baiting someone. Yeah, yeah, try to stop me. Try to stop me. Okay, wait. Where am I going to pass it to? So that was a, um, I don't know. That, I, it's just a weird, weird opening start. Opening start of the playoffs for him. Uh, Gambit 1077, last one, writes in, um, given control of the lines for game three, do you play Watson over anybody? Okay, this is a lot of stuff we already answered. And also, okay, let's go with this one. Does anyone have more fun playing hockey than Victor Arvidsson? Callie Yarncroke. Yarncroke looks like he's having a blast out there. Unless, like, you know, Matthias Ekholm leaves and, like, it's no longer his roommate, then he's not I think a great I think time. maybe James Neal because, because rage makes James Neal happy. Oh, man, that guy's a rage monster. But but I, Yarncroke is good, too. But uh, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a loaded question. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oof. Uh, Johansson, Johansson's having a blast out there most nights. Like, I've never seen anybody hug with the passion that Ryan Johansson has. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he's just not used to playing with this many handsome men. I don't know what his deal is, but um, perhaps that's probably the case. I want, I want to see uh, Johansson and, and Claude Giroux celebrate a victory together. Nah, that's TV 14 wait, right there. Yeah, I'm like, I, wait, I started thinking, mm, I don't know if I want to see that, actually. Tonight on HBO Real Sports. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized what you were saying. It's like, Claude, Drew, Claude, please put some pants on. Please, there's cameras. Just pants. for a minute. <laughs> just like the, seeing the gold medal celebration for Canada. Everyone's like, you know, hey, happy Claude Drew's drinking a beer, just wearing a towel. Claude, get off that police officer. He did not ask you to do that. Let's all play a game of grab ass. <laughs> he, is an, he, he, is, he is a 1C. <laughs> he is. What's up with Jake Borchardt so this him. year? Jake Ford, I don't know. Uh, I I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, Drew had a terrible playoffs as well. He no. just was not on the ball. He had a good season, great season, as he always does. Yeah. Claude Drew, number one in the heart after Ghost Bear. So he's number two, I guess. Speaking of, uh, Calder Trophy uh, nominations came out uh, while we were on the show. Ah, who do, who do we have? We have Gostas Bear, McDavid, oh. and Panarin. <laughs> About what we expected. Not, not a shock. Well, it's a good at least to see Gostas Bear get a nomination on that. I don't think that... He would get my vote just because of you know he's playing a, 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 the hardest position on the one of the hardest positions out there aside from goalie, and he's doing it in Philadelphia where who's his partner Delzato, who was who was Gosses Bear's partner for most of the year was it, it was someone that was a B minus at best okay McDavid has spent a lot of time hurt McDavid played beside guys that if they were in a successful system they would be on the All Star team every year. Panarin did so beside Artem Anisimov, who's a pretty good center, and Patrick Kane, who had a historic year in several well, ways. This is interesting. And also, this, is, this is also a Blackhawks team that didn't expect Panarin to be as, as effective, Mm-mm. partially because they well, had no what idea what to what, expect. What did his bonus do? Put them over the cap where they have to actually be, they have to take a hit against the cap next season I because he was so, because he scored so many goals. I love it. So they clearly did not believe he would do that. No. So. With all that said, I, my vote would still go to Gostas Bear just because I, I've got got a spot in my heart for defensemen. But um, McDavid, his points per game were just incredible. Then you can have the argument for Panarin for just the amount of points that he put up this year. I mean, po- points per game. See, the thing is, everyone, everyone go. A lot of people go to the the points per game for McDavid mm-hmm. because he spent a lot of the season injured. Yeah. So they have to say, well, if he had you know points per game, well. What if he was streaky? What if that happened to be a you know? I think it's it's between uh, Panarin and Ghost Bear. Um, I think it's going to go to Panarin and yeah. I, well, I mean, it's goal scoring, but I yeah. don't think wins. I, I 
it might be closer than you think. I think because uh, remember, Panarin's twenty four. I think though we could get some. Gostas Bear is twenty three though. Mm. I yeah, I mean that that, kind of, that argument does kind of go away with them. So. Gostas Bear did it the right way. He came up through the minor leagues. He yeah. was injured. He spent time injured in the minors and overcame injury in the minors. I think he was also. He didn't was, overcome the KHL. Well, I think Gostas right. Bear was Gostas <laughs> Bear was harder. also I think the Flyers' uh, Masterson nominee. Uh, that's a great question. I believe he, it wasn't a question. It was, I believe he was. was that one? I'm just, um, because he, he had a lot of injury issues and had to work his way over through the injuries and, and everything. It wasn't, it wasn't one of the strong Masterson nominations, no, but I it was to make the finals. Yeah. But it was one of the, it was one of those like, you know, he, he had some injuries and he, he worked through them and they kept him out for a season. The Masterson this year is, uh, let's see, it's Dupuy, Yager, and who's the third guy? I can't remember. I, I think it actually be a great award for Yager. It's like more like a lifetime achievement. Yeah, Talk about dedication to hockey. I'm all for it because not only has Yammer Yager revived his own career, but in my opinion, I mean, as someone who follows Florida hockey, he revived that franchise in several ways. Zuccarello is the other guy. Uh, what ha- what was what was he nominated for? Zuccarello's always hurt in some fashion. It's, it I happens. didn't know there's something particular. That's what happens when you're a hobbit um, and a wizard. Panarin shot. We just always have fewer. Their their um their armor points are always really low, um and they just they tend to be very squishy. So, Panarin shot sixteen percent. That's sustainable. That's what they call that's, sustainable. That's very sustainable. He did do that with two of the greatest players in our league right now. I mean, like he Zuccarello sustained a fractured skull and a brain contusion during last year's playoffs and lost the ability to speak for four days. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, I knew something that it could just it be him. like Yeah, injury. all right. I, I'm still voting Yager, but I'm feeling a little a little bit more bad about it than before. Hey, here's a can I ask you just an off the question? Let's hear it. Do you think that there is I already answered the question, but I mean when Yager officially retires, I mean, how does the league honor a guy like that? How do you I mean someone who just has given so much to the game, not just elite play to all ages? especially in this era of hockey that demands so much more physically than it ever did, uh, and managed to be successful, has trained another generation of players in a couple different cities. <clears throat> hey, what, do you do to, what do you do to honor that? Because even beyond Solani or any guy like that, I put Yager above them. Yeah, it, it, Wayne Gretzky got the Moses treatment. You know, the, the, the book says that when Moses died, he pretty much went straight into heaven, whereas when Gretzky retired, his number was immediately retired throughout the league. If there's like a step below that, I think Yager would be worthy of it because what Yarmir Yager did in his career, if you look at just the, his like Yarmir Yager's you know, biography, it's, it's fascinating. He's, he's, a, he's such a polarizing player though in cities like Washington, New York, you know, markets like in Pittsburgh even, but everything that he's done in the sport of hockey, I think should be, uh, should be commended. He's a unique personality. And again, I, I don't take it. Uh, he literally saved hockey in South Florida. As far as I'm concerned, think about how he his career almost by one year almost spanned four decades because his first year was 1990. Almost four decades. That's like Nolan Ryan, and that's in a sport that's not really a sport, baseball. <laughs> so we're talking about a real a real sport where you have to be physically in shape, and he almost played for four decades. And that's insane. Yeah, and he did so coming up, you know, right as the Cold War was ending. I that's a fascinating story with Yager. Um, I mean, just a step below like the the Gretzky treatment. You know, maybe his number gets retired league wide. Okay, that's cool. I mean, not, number sixty eight is not exactly a a 
a, a sought after number. I think that has to happen. I think for sure. Oh, but I think I think if you if if you retire if you if you retire the second player's number league wide, you get yourself into a danger dangerous place because then you have other like truly iconic like properly iconic players who just never got that treatment. Who? Uh, who was on par? Who was on par with Gretzky and Yager? Well, I mean, I think you could throw. I mean, so you look at the players who's who are the, when people say who are the best forwards in NHL history? Bobby Hull or not Bobby Hull? Sorry, Gordy Howe, uh, Wayne Gretzky, Yager. I'd put on that list, and then I don't know. Then you have guys like Mike Bossy, Mario Lemieux, guys who did it in eras where you know maybe you know things. I mean, maybe it's easier to score in those eras, so those stats are a little well, bit kind of a grain of salt. Gretzky was in the heart of the wide open scoring. Oh era. hell yeah, he was. That was like shoot from center ice and score four goals a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas you had guys like I mean Lemieux had to play through the uh, the clutch and grab and dead puck. Um, so I mean you do have errors, but you know I think there are once you've retired a player jersey league wide, that's the jersey gets retired league wide. Same like, thing with Jordan. It's like you have. That's that's the end of it. But Jordan's Jordan's number's not retired league wide. I thought it was. No, uh, Jackie Robinson in baseball and Wayne Gretzky in hockey, and that's about it. Hmm. No, that's why I don't talk about other sports. No, that's fine. That, you know, it, it happens. I don't. I'm, I would have no lot, problem with, with retiring. I, I would. I would actually be kind of okay with that. I think it would be neat for hockey to have that kind of trend. And, and also, this I don't know that it's possible for there to be another one of those anytime soon. I mean, are we going to have another Gretzky or Yager? I mean, look. I, I don't think that what, that'll happen. Was anyone wearing 99 the same time that Gretzky was? I don't mean the number. I mean the players. No, I don't oh. think anyone was because it was kind of a, it was a like a no one was wearing big numbers back then. Yeah, I, I Yager yeah, I, Yager and Gretzky kind of bucked the trend a lot of areas yeah. because Gretzky Gretzky didn't want to wear nine for Gordie Howe. Yeah, so. I just yeah I just think you know you start the 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 Gretzky thing was the Gretzky thing and and that's it. I just don't think you can start retiring jerseys. Let's talk about some other series real quick. Uh, Blues versus Capitals right now, tied at one at the time we're recording this. Um, Blues ended up coming back in overtime, uh, and uh, nearly—I mean—they nearly blew the uh, blew that game. They were no pun intended. They were uh, they had a two goal lead going into the third. Stars come back, do stars things. Uh, Kari Lennon gets pulled after the first period in game two, so it's like we're going to see Antti Niemi going forward with that. <laughs> um, there's a lot of narrative there. Oh. I mean, you got the St. Louis Blues who are not afraid to just, you know, park the bus and then and you know score in rushes, which they have the tools to do that. They have good goaltending with Brian Elliott, and if he gets hurt, they have good goaltending with Jake Allen. Then you have the Stars, where the exact opposite, where the Stars are like a shark in itself, and where they have to keep swimming, they have to keep scoring because they have Kari Linton and Antti Niemi. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that. If you are all offense all the time, your goaltending is going to suffer, and lo and behold, goaltending hasn't been great. This series could be the best series of the playoffs. I and I didn't think it would get better after after Blues Blackhawks, but I think this really could be because I love watching two just dynamically opposite teams just hammering away. I mean, the Blues sort of "I will ruin you" attitude is really fun to watch against. <laughs> Against the the stars, like as you mentioned, this, these sort of sharks. It's almost like um, you, you've you've got this team that just does that will that refuses to quit uh, trying to score, and the Blues team who's like just throwing defense after defense in front of them. And uh, I can't wait up until uh, the Blues, you know, double overtime game winner in Game Seven in Dallas. That's going to be fun to watch too. 
I just I look at these teams and it feels like they're going to counteract each other in such ways that they're going to get just just spinning like a centrifuge and then they're going to turn to a they're, they're just going to collapse into themselves. And then I realized it's not possible because one team is from St. Louis, the other one's from Dallas, so they've already collapsed into black holes. So there's just there's really no hope. We can just hope for it to be entertained, and that's it. After that, we're just it's, it, the Midwest is just gone. So we don't know because we're not aware of it. We're already in a black hole. The Midwest is. Dallas is not in the Midwest. Yet I don't really give a lot of regard for Texas. I don't care where they are. Wow. Yeah, I've been to Texas multiple <laughs> times, and I'm just like, can I leave Texas now? I like Texas. That's fine. Yeah. People have their preferences. Yeah. I don't like Texas. I like, I, it I creeps like Texas. me. Frankly, every time I'm there and I'm driving through Texas, I'm like, this state is weird. Get me out of here. I don't handle it well. Since we had that conversation about goal songs, um, the, <laughs> the stars, the stars, I know where this is going. The stars' goal song is pretty, pretty awful. Uh, I'm it's a, truly I used to bad. be a big Pantera fan. All right, I, I had all the albums. You know, love me some Pantera, and that is by far like the worst Pantera thing ever. I, I would never noticed it until we talked about it the other day. And oh, I noticed just, it every time they score a goal, which is a lot, and it's yeah. just the worst. They used to have like they used to play. Uh, I think it was the song about Loxley, and then you know the, the you know, very generic stuff. But for the most part, their game ops is so good. And then they they roll out with that. <laughs> uh, Penguins Capitals right now are the games are tied at one to one. Right now we're recording this during the first intermission, and spoiler: the uh, Penguins are up two games or two goals to nothing right now. Ooh. Um. This is a fun stat I ran, I ran before the uh, I ran before the uh, the show today. Just I try to come out. I've been trying to come out with like some goofball stat over the last uh, my, like a my. trend, and you would appreciate this. Um, over the last five years, I just compared like the from the goalies that made the second round. What is their salary? Because right now, uh, Matt Murray is on an entry level deal. He's uh, his uh, AAV right now is at is around just over half a million. The average uh, annual uh, aggregate value for goalie contracts of the goalies that are remaining right now, just under four million dollars. Last year at this time, it was it was right around four. Uh, the goalie salaries for uh, AAV was at four point three. Year before that, five point five. Now this is not a this is kind of a ricochet trend back and forth. Uh, the year before twenty thirteen, it was two point nine, and in twenty twelve, it was three point eight. But still, over. Uh, Pecorine is by is the highest paid remaining goaltender in the playoffs. Uh, Matt Murray getting it done so far. Um, so on that value thing, you're right. I do love that stat. Yeah. So I I tried to look at that recent. Well, a few years ago, I looked at at contract value. I was looking mostly at Predators um, contract value versus their co- contribution to the team, and I looked at point shares, which is not a very a, not a great way to look at it, but it was the only thing that could they, where you could compare goaltenders and forwards. Well, goaltenders and skaters. Um, do you know who the 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 best dollar? So it's essentially, what this did was it took the point shares of the player and put it up against their contract right. value. Got how it. much how much bang for your buck did you get in Predators history? Now, I haven't done this in a couple of years, but in Predators history, the best bang for their buck. Radic Bonk. No, Jared Smithson. No. Oh wow, Dan Ellis. Because that year he made, I don't know, he was like half a million. Yeah. And he, I think he won 20 games, 20, 22 games. Drug the team he's kicking tr- and he's a, the he's a triple genius. We <laughs> all know that. My, my favorite stat is that um, if you took all the tiers of Washington Capitals fans and seeded the clouds with them, you could rain out a San Diego Chargers game. 
Whoa. And that, they never, it's football. It doesn't even get rained out. <laughs> Padres game. San Diego Padres Are game. You, do you not get the point that this is supposed to be so extreme? That, that I've actually watched a game where the San Diego Chargers played, uh, it, it was just like a terrible I monsoon mean, to the point where like the football got punted and it just landed in a puddle and didn't see, even bounce. It's, it's, it's Southern California where, doesn't, where it's a desert. Yeah, and their stadium's like and, a concrete like sculpture. It's like the worst stadium in the NFL. It's, it's football and they don't have <laughs> weather delays and there's a lot of tears so who picked the uh, who should picked I, the caps? I draw this out. There's picked, so much going on. You picked on the now. the caps in this series, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, I think I did too. Yeah, I picked the Penguins in this one. Um, I still think the Capitals. I, I mean, it's, it, I don't. I know the Caps are going to at least get get one game in, in Pittsburgh at some point, whether it's Game Six or whether it's Game Four. Um, the Orpic suspension, kind of a game changer. But uh, by the time you, we all go home tonight, you're going to want to watch the hit that uh, Latang put on Johansson or Johansson. Sorry, I did it that time. <laughs> oh, tonight it happened um, tonight. Yeah, rough. This series is it's far from over. It's going to get nasty. It's going to be exactly what NBC wants. And um, hey, and the only people who, who who lose in this situation are the players. <laughs> um, Lightning versus the Islanders, uh, one-to-one so far. Ben Bishop gets pulled in the first period of uh, game one, and uh, yeah, things weren't exactly looking so great for Tampa Bay. They, they end up coming back, make the first game competitive. Uh, Islanders, I can't – I like Thomas Grice. He's a great story, but there's this part of me that's just thinking, you know what, I I don't know how much longer this is going to last just because we've seen backup goaltenders go on runs like this before. And Thomas, Thomas Grice has always been – a, a contentious player for me, not because of, of who he is or anything like that. It's because he puts up consistent numbers regularly with every team he backs up. And what typically differentiates between uh, a, a starter and a backup is really consistency because you want and, and you want a guy who's going to stop at least an average or greater number for goaltenders. And Grice can usually do that year in and year out over and over again. He just seems to constantly end up in places where there's already a starter, and he he was never able to find a place where he could be a starter. So I have a lot of confidence that he can continue to be consistently good. Now, he may be stopping more goals than you'd expect, but I still don't think the drop-off would be so steep as to, to sort of be a, be a detriment to the Islanders as a team. I have a lot of confidence in Grice. Well, I'm about the John Tavares right now. John, the Islanders make the—he's literally dragging the Islanders, kicking and screaming— uh, to where they are right now, and not saying not just completely just you know to crap on the rest of the Islanders. No roster. one likes playing in Brooklyn, Dan. No, they don't. This is this is true. Like the players actually do not like playing in Brooklyn. But John Tavares right now is is playing just some otherworldly hockey, and it, it's it, I have a lot of respect for him. I don't. I mean. I can't figure that series out. I, neither I, can I. It could go either way at this point. I, I, I don't think that either team has a, has a big edge. I mean, Tampa Bay kind of took it to them in game two, but I, I don't know. I, I think that that's, that could very easily go seven games and and really not be all that interesting, really. No, it, out of all the other series, it's probably the least interesting series. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's saying something because this is all likelihood, given how good the rest of that Tampa Bay roster is. This is the end of Steven Stamkos in Tampa. Yeah. I have come full so – I've come like a 180 on this because – there's no way they're going to be able to afford the rest of their core if they turn around and pay Stamkos like nine and a half, ten million dollars. I don't see it happening, um, especially with Victor Hedman's contract coming up soon. And okay, good. All right, let's get out of here. Five tough questions, and then we'll close the book on this one. Uh, number one, we talked a bit about earlier about Bruce Boudreau. Where is the best fit for Bruce Boudreau? Is it Ottawa? Is it St. Louis, Minnesota, or is it somewhere else? 
Uh, I, I would, if I wanted to be 100% neutral against any prejudices I have against teams in the NHL, I would uh, want to see Boudreaux in St. Louis. Because if you put him in Ottawa or you put Boudreaux in Minnesota, you're giving him just crappy teams. Give Boudreaux a good team. Give him St. Louis, a team that can actually function, and you know, you're going to see more good results. And that's bad for the Central. Boudreaux in, the, in, in Minnesota... Maybe in a few years it'll be threatening. He may not even make it that long as, as moody as they are in, with that franchise. But St. Louis, they're just going to get better. Yeah. Not saying that a Hitchcock is not, is not a good coach, but I think Boudreaux is better. I think he goes to Minnesota, but I don't think it's necessarily the best fit. I just think it's a very Minnesota thing to do. I think they'll just go after him. I think Pink Minnesota will be hiring Torchetti full-time. Uh, how about Montreal? Because if, I mean, if we're talking... Oh, well, he does have a French last name. He does have a French last name. Um, I would like to see him in Montreal just because, number one, who likes Michel Therrien, but... I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think, they're, I think they've declared their loyalty, though. Yeah, that, that's a bummer for him. The remaining... Go- number two, the remaining goaltenders right now, uh, Ben Bishop, Grice, Matt Murray, Holtby, Elliott, Niemi, who's being declared a starter at this point, Martin Jones and San Jose and Pecorine. Out of all the remaining goaltenders, of those eight goaltenders we just listed... Who'd be the one goaltender you would ask to win that, quote, one game? You have one game to win. I'm picking that guy as my goaltender. I mean, Holtby, right? I, mean, I, I, I guess. Like, it's got to be the answer. Bishop. Yeah. I go with Bishop. I, I might go um, I might go with Brian Elliott. That's a good answer. Elliott's really good, and he's cheap, but Elliott's really good. I mean, there's not really a bad answer between the three of them, but... I mean, you look at who's remaining, and you got Grice, Murray, Niemi, Jones, and Rene. I mean, we're, we're, where's Henrik Lundqvist and and, and uh, Jonathan Quick and these huge money goaltenders right now? Goaltending is always in a state of flux, and it's kind of illustrated that earlier. Yeah, well, Quick, old... Quick is, um, oh. he, he, he his contract was not really. It was a, it was a, a bad contract. It was a knee jerk reaction yeah. contract. Um, he's he's placed uh, well above, like in the pantheon of goaltenders, he's placed well above his station. Lundqvist is buried beneath the weight of the New York Rangers. He, not even he, can lift them up and throw them into the river, into the Hudson, like they, like they deserve. Um, <laughs> Sink into the river uh, at this point. It would help the team with their with their cap issues, um, probably. I think I would go with Brian Elliott because I mean, if he's been able to do what he's done against the Stars and Blackhawks, yeah, I'd take him against anyone. Number three, uh, out of all your playoff predictions that we've made so far, what's the one prediction that you would like to have back? I guess we have to remember what we uh, predicted, right? Do you remember what you predicted? Okay, well, I guess I, I was going to let you take the... Because oh. I, I have a terrible answer, as I often do. <laughs> um, long time... This, this, I hate this sentence. Long time followers of any of my work recognize and will understand I put no merit whatsoever in playoff predictions. I think that they are arbitrary and pointless. Therefore, I usually give them that degree of attention. Um, therefore, my answer is none of them because they're all equally absurd. I don't even remember what I predicted. I think I said the, um, I think I picked the Red Wings over the Lightning. I'm not, I'm not, I will not take back my Blues prediction, and that was that they would beat the Blackhawks, and they did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I, I went over. I will keep that prediction. You want to take back a prediction that was right? Right. I was right, but I want to take that back because <laughs> I enjoy failure. <laughs> I went over on both the. Uh, a lot of people did. Went over on the Kings and Blackhawks and Ducks. 
I mean, a lot of people went over on that three. I mean, my my heart led me led me to the promised land for the sharks one. I believed, and I was my belief paid off. Not for you know the flyers, but you know. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for that one too. Um, I just I was like, you know what? Flyers shouldn't have been in the playoffs in the first place. No, but I, I really wanted to to really wanted to buy into that just for the just for the sake of it. This round, um, Jason and I were the only people who picked the Penguins over the Caps, um, and Mark. No, pardon you, Link and uh, Jeremy and I were the only ones to pick the Stars over the Blues, and Link and Jeremy the only ones to pick the Islanders over the Lightning. So yeah, I'm always gonna I'm always gonna pick the Blues to lose. I'm never gonna pick them to win because. I assume the curse is going to strike at some point, so why pick them for victory ever? It's it's just rolling against the universe. That's what I did. That's what I do. Number four, Toronto won the draft lottery, and uh, the question comes down to uh, you have these top-end players. You have Austin Matthews, you have Patrick Lyon. The Toronto already has Mitch Marner and William Nylander and uh, possibility Stephen Stamkos, who wants to play center. Like That's part of the gripe that he has when in Tampa Bay is that he doesn't play center all the time down there, even though uh, that's what he wants to be because he's smart. Centers get paid more. So what are the odds now that Toronto has Marner, Nylander, Stamkos possibly coming in, that they take Lane instead of Austin Matthews? Well, it de- I mean... <laughs> You don't draft for need. You draft the best player. That That's going to always, always work out better for you. So if they believe that Lane is the better player, draft him. If you think Matthews is, is the talent that everyone says he is, draft him and it'll be fine. I guarantee that having an elite player, even if he has to be playing a wing, still probably going to be pretty good. Yeah. I wouldn't be bothered. I mean, if the, if the Predators all of a sudden head Austin Matthews, be like, oh, he's a center and he's not a spot for him. Who cares? Make a spot for him launch Ribeiro out of a cannon. I mean, volunteer him for the Russian space program. I don't care. <laughs> Speaking of, I want Kamenev up here next year. There's, there's no way around I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if they uh, if they go with Lane, but uh, I also wouldn't be shocked if they completely trade the spot or if they draft someone and then eventually get rid of them. <laughs> it is Toronto. Yeah. We have no idea. I mean, I, I don't see them trading it, though. Just... Uh, no, probably not, no. I think that the Winnipeg is the real winner here, winner here because they need players like that, and they just got one of the two. So The the Jets are going to be good in about another year or so. Yeah. If, they, if, if the Jets get Patrick Lane, that's, that's not good for the Central. No. Fifth question, and it's the most obvious question. Right now the Predators are in a 2-0 uh, series hole against the San Jose Sharks. Question is simply... How could the Predators beat the Sharks, and how plausible is it that Nashville can win this series? Okay, so my fix, how can, how can they get out of this? How can they get out of this? How can they get out of this, Alex? <laughs> I think that uh, you're going to have to see improved play from Johansson and Neal it just, just, for, just in the San Jose series. They played well late in the Duck series. I, to me, I think it, it's going to take Forsberg on that top line, and Forsberg just getting the you know what away from Mike Ribeiro um, I think it's going to take some change on the power play because you're not going to get as many chances on the power play San Jose does not go to the box nearly as much as the Ducks so you've got to take advantage of your chances um, and just continue getting goaltending like you've been getting from Pecorine if you get improved top line play you take advantage of your power play chances and nothing changes with Pecorine you can come back and win the series uh, yeah I, I think uh it, on, on, when you have a power play, they, the Predators have to take advantage of it. They do not have time to to get 
super, super cute with, with their setups. They have to be maybe more direct. They have to find ways to not have it focused around Weber firing from the point. Uh, I, I think that's just, it's just it's a continuation of something that hasn't been working, and it's not going to help them. They also have to find a way to, to break San Jose's uh, structure. And if that is uh, really aggressive at counterattacking and going for, for really just scoring off of the rush, then that's the way they need to do it. But they haven't done it so far. Uh, and also, I mean, they, they need to help Pekka in the crease. Uh, the, the, the missed coverage by Weber was the nail in the coffin for the Predators. They, yeah. For some reason, that killed them in Game 2. And that's something that a guy like Weber should not let happen. Uh, and so they need to make, stay strong because that's where they've, they have mental lapses throughout the entire season is protecting that crease. And that's going to be so key to enable them to then move forward and be aggressive like they need to to, to, to really impact the Sharks. I, I think so I, should, I should clarify. I don't think it's just the top line. I think it's, it's everyone. From top to bottom, they need to get scoring chances in the higher danger areas of the ice. And if they need help on doing that... They can go watch some game film of, oh, I don't know, maybe the San Jose-Nashville series and watch the San Jose Sharks and how they do it because they do a pretty good job of getting shots off in the dangerous areas. Go watch how they do it and play a similar game. Kidnap Joe Thornton and dress him in yellow. Yeah. I mean, even just like the, the shot passes where essentially like the, the Sharks know that they're taking a shot that's going to go off of Rene's pad and they have a player there ready to punch in the rebound. That's how Couture's goal happened. So more of that. Just, just some creativity, please, for all of us. All right. Uh, game uh, three tomorrow night on Tuesday and uh, game four Thursday night. I mean. Is game two, uh, I'm sorry, game three Tuesday, is it eight o'clock central? Uh, I believe it's eight central, yeah. You Can't know what? It's not 930. Okay? Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's not 930. Staying up until 2 a.m. sucks. And then turning around and doing morning radio 6 a.m. <laughs> also sucks. I enjoy doing the show, but man, I was I was a zombie. Like, I feel bad. You know who, you know who's really getting screwed out of all this, all this, all this though? Dallas-St. Louis is starting at 8.30. Central. Nice. <laughs> so, Sorry, I, inter- I interrupted you. No, you're good. All right. Um, I, I would ask for predictions on this, but... Um, I mean, let's let's just go for it. Uh, do you think how many games do you think they take out of the homestand? You think they win both? You think they take one? I, uh, you know, for for wanting the Predators to move on to the third round, I have to believe they take both games. I actually think that they lose tomorrow night, but take game four, and then lose in five. Uh, I think they take game one. I think they take game three, and then uh, game four. I'm still not really sure about. Um. If they, I mean, as soon as they lose the third game, they're going to just start throwing stuff at them. Yeah, and that's why I think they probably win game four if they lose game three. <clears throat> but there's no way they sustain and come back after that. Yeah. Oof. Jeez, I'm the positive one. That's scary. Yeah, though, I don't, don't, the, don't the Sharks have a history of blowing a 3-0 lead? Yeah, that's seriously? why I was so blown away at like, the national media acting like the series was over after game yeah. one. I was like, this is the San Jose Sharks, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I was a little bit surprised by that. All right. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at 3D link. Uh, you can follow Alex on Twitter at Alex Darty one. You can follow myself at Dandy rally and you can follow the show and the entire network at on the four check. Uh, anything else before we close up shop uh, at the, at the close of game two or game three tomorrow. I'm actually going on a, a 
a, a Sharks podcast called Pucknology. Um, it's actually going to be a live podcast on YouTube, video and everything um, after the game. And so you can actually, I'll, I'll probably tweet out a link when that happens, but it's uh, you just go to YouTube and look up uh, Pucknology After Dark. And uh, yeah, so I'll be doing that tomorrow. Should be should be fun. Um, but yeah. I got one for you. Uh, check out our friend Jeremy over at Cities Liquors and uh, in Laverne. Um, you and I, I've caught the wine bug uh, pretty strong. I've... Uh, slowly developing my wine palette and out of all the liquor stores around town i think that that's probably one of my favorite ones to go to because realistically i'm not going to get hammered off of 25 dollars wine every time but it's all like it's a lot of stuff that's like eight to twenty dollars and it's just like it's a wide pantheon of, of different wines and stuff and you know it, it's not, not just like your typical like yellowtail stuff everywhere they even have uh, i think dreaming tree which is dave matthews wine it's actually really good uh if you like red blends and such um check it out sometime um, and that's actually ran by Jeremy Sargent, one of our contributors at OTF. He runs the place, man. He owns it. Where is that? Uh, in Laverne. Oh, okay. Yeah, just like not too far from away from here. Alex, you got anything? Uh, I I don't. I am uh, I'm like uh, Callie Yarncrock with the uh, puck on my stick and the empty nets there, and I'm just gonna pass. I'm not gonna even try to shoot. Wow, man. That's what Callie should have done. But yeah. Exactly. I'm going I'm to not shoot because I'd rather not shoot and miss. I'd rather just not shoot. That kid is so handsome, though. <laughs> I give him a pass. That's my way of saying I no, give I'm him good. a pass. How about that? <laughs> if I had something to throw at you, I'd throw it at you. There you go. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you all next week. Uh, have a good rest of your week. Dog, please, you don't want to talk.